We argue or disagree, but it doesn't last very long. And the reason is, I can't stand being at odds with Lisa, but it's unbearable for me to be at odds with God. Welcome to Life, Love, and Family. Our topic today, you and me forever. Marriage in light of eternity. Our special guest today, Francis Chan and his wife, Lisa Chan, stop by. It's always been a mystery to me How two hearts can come together And love can last forever now that I have found you, I believe That a miracle has come When God sends a perfect one Now gone are all my questions about why And I've never been so sure of anything in my life Oh, I wonder what God Thinking when he created you, I wonder if he knew everything I would need because he made all my dreams come true when God made you, it must have been thinking. Welcome into Life, Love, and Family. Hi, I'm Dr. Tim Clinton. We're going to talk about love and marriage, getting it right. Our special guests today say this, Jesus was right. We have it all backwards. The way to have a great marriage is not by focusing on marriage. Yes, it's until death do us part. Then come the eternal rewards or regrets, depending on how we live our lives. Today, again, we're going to talk about you and me forever. It's a brand new book written by our special guests, Francis Chan and his wife, Lisa Chan. Francis Chan is a best-selling author of Crazy Love, Forgotten God, Erasing Hell, and Multiply. His wife, Lisa, is a speaker and host of the True Beauty series, and God has called them to a countrywide discipleship movement called Multiply. Francis and Lisa, welcome into Life, Love, and Family. Thank you. Good to be here. Hey, Francis, you remember the first time you saw Lisa, what it was like? <laughs> yes. She was uh, singing at a church, a guest soloist, and she blew my mind. Thanks, babe. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I wrote in my notes, there's nothing more beautiful in all the world than to be in a relationship with someone who actually loves you. And I don't think there's anything more painful in all the world than to be in a relationship with someone who's supposed to love you and they don't love you. No doubt a lot of people are dialing in here and listening and saying, okay, Francis Chan, Lisa Chan, they write about church planning and discipleship and loving God, and now they're talking about marriage. Why the transition into this topic at this time in your lives? Well, we're in such a difficult time when it comes to marriage, especially within the church, where we're seeing so many divorces and people even questioning the meaning of marriage, even within the church. We just felt like we needed to just be clear about what the scriptures say. And while there's a lot of books that talk about how to have a happy marriage, we felt like, gosh, that's not the focus of scripture. The scriptures seem to teach that if we focus on him and live our lives for him, then we'll find fulfillment in marriage. But too often we, uh, 
we're kind of pursuing God to gain a great marriage rather than just pursuing him for who he is. Lisa, I know that Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, he called marriage a mystery. You guys open up the book together talking about developing a different lens that you look through. You call it an an eternal lens. It's getting beyond this just getting along or being happy together, but developing that perspective, i.e. through God's eyes. Give us your take. Why should people really listen and step up to this discussion? Well, I think it goes back to what you were saying to begin with. There's going to be a lot of marriages where people are disappointed or their expectations or their needs aren't met. So then the question is, what do we do? Do we follow the world and just say, you know what, I'm done with this. You're not who I want you to be. You're not loving me the way you should. And though there may be truth in that, I'm saying, what about for those of us who believe that God has a purpose, even in our pain and our suffering amidst relationships, how are we able to choose to say, I'm going to honor God, I'm going to love God, I'm going to serve this other person, even when they don't deserve it, because of who I am in Christ, and because I have to show the world a different picture of what love and forgiveness and grace looks like. And so that's why I think it's so important that we remember that there's something bigger at stake. There's something bigger going on that the way I love, the way I enter marriage, it's supposed to be for the glory of God, whatever we do, right? Not for our own benefit or our own needs or that we're always going to feel so fabulous, but I'm doing this for the glory of God. So it's going to make me look at everything differently. Francis, in this book, uh, You and Me Forever, Marriage in Light of Eternity, You make a statement early on, the two of you make this statement, marriage problems, and everybody says, yep, we've got a bunch of those. We've got a quiver full of that. And you get the idea of we have communication breakdowns. We have things that tear at our affection for each other and more that we need to address. But you say at the core, marriage problems are God problems. Connect that for us. It's about your foundation as a couple. Even this morning, my Bible reading had us in uh, Psalm 111, verse 10, where it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. It's at the core, the foundation. Like, I understand, like, one day I'm going to stand before this holy God. And I think people grossly underestimate how intense that's going to be. So because that's at the core of who I am, I understand going into marriage this is sacred. This is something I'm vowing before the Lord. Like, I am going to love her. At the core, I know I will never leave my wife because I have too great of a fear of God. And then I understand that, you know what? I'm here for a short, short time, and then I face Him. And then it's forever. I'm looking to obey the Scriptures as much as I can, as faithfully as I can, by the power of the Spirit, to love Lisa deeply. So words like divorce have never been in our vocabulary because of that foundation. And I say that it's about a God problem versus a marriage problem, because if two people are walking in the Spirit, they're going to be in unity. That's our goal. No Spirit-filled couple has ever divorced, because there's only one Spirit. If we're both seeking Him, then we're going to align ourselves with one another. You don't leave us empty, as the two of you write in the book. You talk about fearing God, and you talk about staring at God. You quoted Psalm 27, 4. Explain that, because I remember reading a book a few years ago. I don't know if you've, the two of you ever seen the book called Intimate Allies that Dan Allender and Tremper Longman wrote. But in there, it, Allender and Longman challenged 
me to begin to believe that God wanted to work through me to influence Julie to be more like Christ, more like him, and that he wanted to work through Julie to influence me, Tim, to be more like Christ, that we were called to one another and that ultimately he was working out his purposes. But you only can go there, I guess, if you really believe that God is and that you see him for who he is, the fear God piece. Can you explain that fear God, stare at God element for a moment? Psalm 27, 4 says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. I mean, even this morning, I was just, just alone with the Lord and going, God, I love this. I love being alone with you. And I get so filled up just being in His presence and knowing Him and staring at Him that when I come out of that time with God, I'm so full, you know, like Psalm 23 talks about, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want, that's how his cup overflows, and it's like I'm so fulfilled in my time with Jesus that I have plenty to give to Lisa, to give to our seven children, and give to whoever else I run into, and so often, because individuals aren't finding their fulfillment in Christ, they're wanting just too much from their partner. There's a statement in here, Lisa, that says the gap between our love for God and our love for our spouse is massive. It stopped me. Can you put words to what it means and, and how it connects? Because I want someone that I'm crazy in love with. You hear what I'm saying? And I guess maybe it goes back into the whole crazy love concept for a moment, too. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else is going to motivate people to do what's right. If our love for God, I mean, that's the greatest commandment, right? And there's a reason behind that, because if we love anything apart from God most, that is where our treasure is going to be. Where your heart is, there your treasure is. And I think that's why so much of the scripture says all the prophets went to Israel to keep warning them, don't forget God. You've got to remember what he has done for you. You've got to love him most. You have to forsake all these other things, this idolatry, even the idolatry of marriage for us, and quit looking and staring at all these other things and remember who your God is and what He has done for you and how much He loves you. And then out of your great love for God, you can push on. You can keep loving other people. Like Francis said, you can be filled up in a way that nothing else can fill you up. So when you are feeling a lacking of love for your spouse or they're just bugging you, it's like, okay, we're going to have those days, but no, I'm on track here. I know why I'm here. I know who I'm here for. I know who really is going to ultimately meet all of my needs, and that's where we have to move out of. Francis, someone's probably listening saying, well, I hear you, but what if you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't care, who could care less about the God card? How do I go forward in that? I mean, that is one of the most difficult things to navigate through on this earth. I mean, I really believe that. That's why uh, we urge people, uh, gosh, make sure you marry someone who absolutely loves the Lord. There are some who, you know, fall in love with Jesus after getting married, and, and their spouse doesn't feel the same way, and that's difficult. I mean, here you are with the person on earth that you love the most, and yet you love this God so much more, and this person has no interest. There aren't a whole lot of answers to that one, other than you've got to find your fulfillment completely in Christ. You're not going to be aligned in your uh, pursuits on the earth. 
I'm not going to lie. It's a, it's a very, very difficult existence. I've just wept with people who have been in that situation where um, they love God so much, they love their spouse so much, but their spouse just has no love for God, and there's little to no unity in that situation. And I, I pray that you would just, again, think eternally and say, okay, I'm only married for a little while here, and then I'm going to see God, and Jesus has to be the first love of my life, and being on your face every day because it breaks your heart that the person that you love is going to spend eternity apart from you. And I think that's the hardest thing to reckon with in the Christian life. That's why Paul says he has this unceasing anguish in Romans 9, because he realizes he has people that he loves that don't love Jesus. Our topic today is You and Me Forever. Marriage in Light of Eternity. It's a brand new book by our special guests, Francis Chan and Lisa Chan. They're making a bold statement, calling us all back to the one who is the life giver and the one who is in the midst of our walk together. Lisa, let me come back to you because I know you guys continue in the book about finding your strength and weakness. And there are probably some who may be listening right now. Tears are coming down their face. They're saying, God, I, I want you to be in my life. I want you to save our marriage, our children. What about our kids and more? The two of you write a statement that says this. It could be that the Lord is using your marriage, whatever that situation is right now, to call you to himself. What do you think that would mean for that person listening right now who's dying a million deaths? I can't speak out of experience from being in a broken relationship or a relationship where, you know, it feels so one-sided because you are pursuing God and, and your partner is not. But I can say that I have watched many people choose to follow God, to honor God, to keep their commitment and almost infuse this life into their marriage of, you know what, it does rest on me. I am the only example to my children or to the people I work with or my family. I am going to show them what the gospel looks like by the way that I choose to love my spouse, even though they don't feel the same way or they're not as committed. And like Francis said, that is hard, and I'm not belittling that struggle, but I'm saying our God is big, and He's great, and He's compassionate, and He can give you everything you need. And He has asked you to do that. He asks you to surrender that dream or that hope to Him and trust Him with it and say, okay, Lord, maybe it's going to take 10, 15, what if it's 20 years before your spouse turns around and starts to follow Christ, or what if it's not at all? Are you okay with that, with God's sovereignty and trusting in it so much that you let it go and just say, I'm going to choose to follow you, Lord, and obey and believe that you are going to work all things together for good because I'm called according to your purposes and not my own. I want to be careful to say we understand the pain of it, but we also understand who God is and that he is a great big God who can meet your needs and give you the courage to keep doing what he's asking you to do. Mm. Francis, let me flip it over to you real quick. In the book, You and Me Forever, you guys talk about learning to fight well. You reference 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. Uh, I think you wrote this, our sense of weakness is exactly where God's grace becomes all sufficient. To think that God's strength is so great that Paul would actually boast in his weakness rather than crumbling in it. This type of thinking should change us deeply. What's the strength in there? What's the gold that God's kind of given to you to mine out here as a precious gift to us 
that, yea, though we wrestle, we struggle, we fight for and in our relationships and take on the character of Christ in doing it. Yeah. You have to remember, too, in, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about all the things that he went through, you know, which is beyond. I can't even imagine going through everything he went to when he talks about receiving the 40 lashes, you know, five times beaten with rods, stones, shipwrecks, starving, and danger from his own people, from Gentile cities, wilderness, false brothers, you know, on and on and on, all of this pressure. And then in chapter 12, he talks about, you know, this thorn in his flesh, but in all of that, my power is made perfect in weakness. This is where God wants me. He's going to show off his power when I come to the end of myself and say, there's no way I could survive this, Lord. I can't do this in my own power. I mean, all through Scripture, God is wanting to show how powerful he is and how weak we are. I mean, he does things specifically so that we can't boast. And sometimes he puts us in those terrible, just horrifying situations so that he can give us strength to make it through. And at the end, we know, I could never have done that on my own power. And when the world sees that, then they start believing, wow, he's doing things. She's surviving and persevering things that I could never have made it through. And that's when they ask, how do you do that? Where does that power come from? Because, you know, following Christ is difficult, and we all want that happy ending here on earth, but that's not promised to us. And a lot of us grew up in this church world where we're told, hey, follow Jesus, and you'll get this or this or this. He'll fix your marriage. But that's not what the Scriptures teach. It's all about follow Christ, even if things get worse and worse and worse. And there's so much in this book about perseverance, and that's the strength the Holy Spirit gives you oftentimes, is not to change your situation, but to give you the power through it and through your weakness. (laughs) I was going to ask you, do you guys fight? Maybe I should say, do you guys disagree? I was reading the the story about (laughs) mini golf to money, the kids and more, you guys. Everybody goes through periods of disaffection and maybe some times when you don't feel as close as you should, but... The two of you use the word humility, taking on the humility or the way of Christ. I think out of Philippians 2, what does that mean to each of you as you look back toward each other and realize that we're human and, yeah, we hurt each other? We argue or disagree, but it doesn't last very long. And the reason is I can't stand being at odds with Lisa, but it's unbearable for me to be at odds with God. Like. You know, the Bible says that he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so when I'm being proud and standing my ground, I know that I'm in opposition to the Lord, and that drives me nuts because it's like I don't ever want to have anything between me and the Father. And so the moment we start arguing or disagreeing on something, it's like, gosh, I want to run towards humility and get things right. Hey, what about when you're just right? When you're right and Lisa's wrong? <laughs> well, that's that very, happens a that's lot. That's very, very rare. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. When someone comes to you and graces you in that way, it's hard to continue to rebuke them or to pound them or to emotionally distance yourself from them. I do think I'm right. Otherwise, <laughs> why would there be an argument, right? But the issue is, Okay, what do I really want? Do I want to be right 
or do I want to be Jesus? Jesus was humble. Jesus was right, but mistreated. He allowed that to happen. So even if in my mind I think I'm right, that doesn't mean that I then am given the right to act however I want. I'm still called to humility. I'm still called to sacrifice for my wife. I'm supposed to show Christ to the world. And what Christ showed was, look, I'm the one that's in the right. You guys are the ones in sin. But here I am sacrificing my life for you. And so we have to decide, is that the goal of my life? I want to display Jesus to the world. Lisa, what's your take? The thing about humility is humility shows that the person is willing to take responsibility for their own actions, right? I mean, it is always easier to point out Francis's faults or what he should have done or what he should have said. But we were just counseling with a young couple who are not married yet. And by the end of this whole session we had with them, I said, you know, you two have so much more humility than I have seen in a hundred other couples that we've counseled over the years. And it's so beautiful to see because their first reaction is not the other person and what they're doing. It was always a real true reflection of, wow, I can see that I'm not trusting God. I can see that I'm not acting appropriately because I'm feeling this way and that's just fear and that's wrong. And it was so nice to see, like Francis and I at the end of it were like, if you stay on this track, you are going to be awesome because the lack of humility we see in people who have been married is pretty ugly and pretty hard to see sometimes. There, there can be such an unwillingness to look at your own actions. And, you know, we always tell our kids, worry about yourself, worry about yourself. You can only control your own actions. So please stop constantly looking at the other person and pointing out their faults and mulling it over in, in your mind, ladies, late at night. He should have done this. He could have said that. Just stop and say, Lord, what can I do differently? What, what am I doing in this relationship that is just off? How can I love better? That's humility, and it's so attractive, and it says God pours out His grace when you do that, so why wouldn't we want to pursue that? We have to recognize that prideful spirit is not only ugly and not Christ-like, but all you're asking for is just more opposition from God. And like Francis says, you can't deal with that with God being against you. So, man, humility is everything. In the book, you take on topics like, is there hope for us? What's really best for our kids? You talk about raising blessings versus burdens in our life. I love that piece in the book where you talked about Eli. He honored his sons above God. And I thought, you know, we have got to get back to what we're really called to do and be in our marriages and our families. We've so lost that, and we've got the wrong thing centered up. Let me go to you, Lisa, first, and then we'll close with you, Francis. Someone's driving down the highway. They know they need more God in their marriage. They want to develop this eternal perspective. Lisa, give them a word of encouragement about is there really hope for them? There's always hope, but only if you cry out to God in true humility and surrender. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will turn and I will hear from heaven, it says. If you, in your mind, all you can think about is how wrong and terrible the other person is, then I am afraid for you. But if right now you're saying, no, I need to humble myself before God, I'm going to cry out to you, Lord, and believe that you can change me, that you can change my heart, then there's always hope. And believe that God will pour out His grace on you and show you the way. Read the Word. Saturate yourself in it. 
start living out the word. And Francis, the final word back to you. Speak directly to me, to everyone else listening. Tim, when it comes to your marriage, I want you to remember this. I want everyone to remember how short this life is. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. We're going to come before this God who gave his son to die for us and to to show us an example of someone who endured, who persevered so much evil doing towards him. And now he says, you know what? I want you to listen to him. I want you to follow his example. So I'm not on this earth just to enjoy myself, to make myself happy. You know, I'm on this earth to bring glory to God, and that's by putting his son on display. And that's done by the way that I treat my wife, regardless of how she acts. And when you think about everything Jesus endured for you, and you read about the Apostle Paul and everything he endured for the sake of the gospel, and what our brothers and sisters are enduring right now in the Middle East and and all around the world, being tortured for their faith, this is one tiny way of, of bearing our cross is by showing some humility and love and showing the world that we actually believe in an eternity. And we believe that even if this life on earth is going to be miserable, we have a promise coming and we'll endure anything for that promise. And our hope is not in, oh, my marriage is going to be wonderful here on earth one day. Our hope is, you know, one day I'm going to come before the Lord and He's going to welcome me into His kingdom and there'll be no more tears, no more pain. But for now, there's work to be done. I wonder what God was thinking when He created you. I wonder if He knew everything I would Because it made all my dreams come true He must have heard every special guests again today have been Francis Chan and his wife Lisa Chan. Their brand new book, it's called You and Me Forever, Marriage in Light of Eternity. I went through every page of it and felt very challenged, encouraged, and convicted about my relationship with Julie, but more importantly, my relationship with God. Because the essence of this life is about Him. Man, I want to encourage you today. Would you slow it down enough to see the work of God in and around you? Maybe even right now in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids. And would you let God speak to your heart and challenge you to move closer to him and let him do his work? Boy, that's my prayer for you. You and me forever, marriage in light of eternity. There isn't anything more beautiful in all the world than to be in a relationship with someone who actually loves you. And in a situation where you know that God is in the midst of it all. That's why we come to you every day on this station at this time. We want to speak into your life. To learn more about Francis Chan and his wife, Lisa, please feel free to visit our website at lifeloveandfamily.net, lifeloveandfamily.net, or call us toll-free, 855-455-3264, and learn about the resources we have 
to help you build the life, the love, and the family that God wants you to have. Thanks for listening. Life, Love, and Family. America's number one Christian residential treatment program, Honey Lake Clinic, specializing in addiction, depression, anxiety, bipolar, PTSD, staffed by nationally recognized psychiatrists and psychologists, a team of MDs and 24-hour nursing care, a 600-acre scenic sanctuary of unmatched beauty, Honey Lake Clinic. Most insurance accepted, scholarships available. Phone 844-747-7772, online, honeylake.clinic.